welcome to another episode of Ability on Air, a disability sports podcast. I'm your host, Ashley. Today, we are lucky to be speaking to a seven-time Paralympian who earned 13 Paralympic medals in alpine skiing and track and field, cementing his place as one of Team USA's most successful athletes. He is also known as the most decorated male monoskier in the United States history. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Waddle. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Could you share with us your journey going from competitive skiing in college to becoming a seven-time Paralympian and the most decorated male monoskier in the United States? Sure. Uh, I mean, I was an athlete my whole life, really, is what it comes down to. I was ski racing in college. I had an accident. I broke my back, ended up in the hospital. You know, the funny part for me is I actually, I saw someone, I saw a woman named Diana Golden at a ski race that I was at where I was competing. She was an above the knee amputee and was a, was a true just trailblazer in so many ways. And she was at this race because it was the best competition she could find. It were the people that were going to stretch her and, and watching her, I felt like she was the best representation of what an athlete was like i'm going to fall down and i'm going to get back up and i'm going to find a way to be successful and really that works pretty well on the human being side as well so you know from a distance she became a hero that that day a year later almost i mean yeah so what was it it was 11 months later i guess i had my accident and ended up in the hospital and and so I knew that there was an outlet. Like as a kid, I had seen the Boston Marathon and you see you see the wheelchair racers and you know the, the, the thought for everybody is like, wow, they're going fast. Wow, their arms are huge, you know? I mean, this is kind of kind of the thought that you'd have as a kid, but not necessarily understanding sort of the human part of it necessarily, right? Of like, like, yeah, this is this is an opportunity to showcase uh something that people might not might not imagine to it i was really lucky in a lot of ways in that my coach was super supportive my college coach a guy named bart bradford was super supportive and he got my first mono ski he wanted me to be part of the ski team still at middlebury college so i skied with the team even though i was not good at all but i skied with him and kept and with them and kept progressing and kept progressing. I uh, went to some, some uh, disabled races. They were disabled races. Now they're adaptive races now. Uh, but, uh, but that's what I went to and made nationals. My first year did not do well at my national at the nationals. And then, and then the next year sort of took off and actually, you know, had my breakthroughs and the breakthroughs. That's the cool part, right? I mean, it's the cool part about, sport right is that we get to experience those amazing breakthroughs that that in some ways we imagine but aren't sure if they're possible and and you emerge into an entirely different world and that next year that's what i was able to do and i was kind of off and running skiing and uh 
training for uh, ski racing, we were always running and the equivalent of that is wheelchair racing. So I picked that up because I felt like in the summer I had to be trained in order to be as good as I could be in the winter. You went on to win 13 Paralympic medals in both skiing and track and field, which is an incredible accomplishment. Could you tell us the transition from skiing to track and field and how your experience as an athlete in both sports influenced your perspective on sports and life in general? So transitioning from skiing to track and field, and I did them concurrently, so so I continued to do both at the same time. But I started ski racing as a six-year-old and had a fair amount of experience. You know, I'd ski raced for 15 years. So skiing was interesting in that I knew what I was trying to do. And it was a matter of trying to do what I wanted to do, find a way to get my body to do it. So that was the the real transformation. And skiing, honestly, was my was my first love and was my greatest teacher. It's where I experienced my my greatest highs and my most crushing lows and had to figure out how to persevere and strategize and and be successful, right? And 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 be happy as well, which which sometimes can be a challenge, right? As we beat ourselves up. So transitioning into track and field was a bit of an interesting one as well in that I didn't have much experience in uh, in racing on the track. I'd done some road races, you know, on the track. I, you know, I had done like field day in school. So a couple of events here and there, but I'd never raced on the track. And so each day I felt like I was learning something new and there's something really interesting in learning something new, whether it was the technique of what I was doing, whether it was training processes, whether it was a strategy on the track of where I wanted to be, how I want to do it. Uh, and then, then also trying to figure out what my strengths were and, and how I might be able to apply those strengths. So, so that's, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you talk about the human side of it too. I mean, those are, those are all part of developing our strengths, realizing what our strengths are, realizing what our weaknesses are, improving upon our weaknesses. And, 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 and I think the passion that we bring to it is really the thing that helps us be successful as well. The Paralympic Games have grown significantly in recent years, garnering more attention and recognition. As a pioneer in disability sport, how have you seen the Paralympic movement evolve over the years? And what do you think have been the most significant change in terms of inclusivity and opportunities for para-athletes since you first competed in 1992? So, Pioneer, thank you. And which is funny, I think that you you want to stand on the shoulders of those who've come before you. And I most assuredly stood on the shoulders of those who came before me. And being in the UK, the Paralympics effectively started back in 1948, right, with the Stoke Mandeville Games and Paralympics parallel to the Olympics. They started the same day that the Olympics started with a 12-year hiatus from 1936 in Berlin to 1948 in the in, in London. So, you know, for World War II, obviously. But it, it was an interesting because that was that was transformational. I mean, look at the transformation of of what they're doing, because what is it? I mean, I read like 80 percent of paraplegics would would die within three years at that time. 
and, and sport was a part, you know, and I'm sure that there were, there were drugs and antibiotics that were, that were helpful as well, but sport was a part of helping people with paraplegia to be healthy. So, so there's the healthy part. I, 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 you know, some of my big heroes were the people who fought to get into marathons in a wheelchair where they were forced to start at the back and, and eventually, because now what world record for a wheelchair marathon is, is an hour and 17 minutes. You don't want somebody starting in the back and taking an hour to pass all of the runners when they're going to go an hour and 17. And that's, that's sub three minute miles for 26.2 miles, you know, over 20 miles an hour, which is just absolutely amazing. So, so yes. So, so thank you on the, on the pioneer side. And I think we all, we all take ownership of, of the sport. I think that that's one of the things that is really cool. There aren't a lot of things that are given to you. You feel like each person really has to do their part to continue to push the sport and continue to push the movement forward. And I think that's one of the cool things. London was an amazing transformation in 2012 in terms of the television coverage. And Channel 4 spent four years leading up to the games to educate people, to excite people. And then they were on all day long and even, even had a comic at the end bringing, bringing comedy to the whole thing, which I felt like that's that to me is a great thing, right? It's, it's, you can, you can actually laugh at the, at the situation or poke fun at the situation, which I think comedy means that it's okay. It's like, that's the greatest form of acceptance in a lot of ways. And that transformed what we did in the U S in terms of our coverage. I think with NBC, we went from three or four hours to like a couple hundred hours or more uh, for the next game. So that was 2012, to 2014 and i don't know the exact numbers but it was but it was a gigantic transformation and now it's over thousands of hours so people are getting a chance to see it people are getting a chance to to enjoy it to to find heroes in a place where they might not have found heroes but i think the other part of it i feel like when I watch the Olympics, when I watch the Paralympics, when I'm sitting on my couch and somebody does something amazing, I watch and go, well, we did that. I, I had nothing to do with it, right? I'm sitting on my couch. I'm not helping them. But I feel like we as human beings did that. And this is showing what we're capable of as human beings on, on the greatest far reaches but at the same time, it's what we're capable of and getting that exposure. I mean, there's there's still a lot of work to do, but at the same time, it really is getting that exposure is something that, that really is great and reaching reaching more and more people and giving them an opportunity to 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 see people for the first time, I think is really is really kind of my hope that that you see somebody and it, maybe it affects what you see on the street you know if you see somebody on the street it's not oh that's too bad it's well what do you do you know what do you have to teach me and i i think that's the transformation and being on a peripheral sport that's that's one of the challenges is kind of kind of finding a way and finding your niche and finding your your value that you can contribute and i think that's a big part of the value 
You won four gold medals in the 1994 Paralympics in Norway, and your achievements in subsequent games showcased your determination and talent. Can you share some memorable experiences and moments from those games that have stayed with you even after you retired? And in Lillehammer 94, that was one of that was the transformational games for me, right? And it was my goal had been to be the fastest monoskier in the world. And to give you a little context of what that means, I am in the most disabled of the three classes. There were three classes back then. They've sort of split a bit more now, but three classes. And, and so my class is supposed to be the slowest class. I basically have, you know, the muscles like right underneath my sternum kind of thing and corresponding on the back. So, so as far as balance is concerned, I don't have a lot of those balanced muscles where the next group down is the group that really is sort of paralyzed from the waist down, has all of those torso muscles, but nothing that they can do with their legs, where then the next group was the, the group that could use their legs. Some of them could stand, some of them could walk to a certain extent. You had the double amputees. And, and I said, I wanted to be the fastest monoskier in the world. And the reason I wanted to be, this is still coming from Diana in so many ways that she was stretching people's imagination. She was racing against people with two legs and, and beating people, you know, and that's what I wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, so, so in the downhill in Lillehammer, I actually was able to be the fastest mono skier in the world. So on the biggest stage, and this is this is now we've gone to a factored time, which is which is sort of taking into account the different classes, and it's kind of like a golf handicap where it's where it's averaging everything. Back then we were racing on raw time, so this is just regular straight time, and I ended up having the fastest time of the day, which to me was about was about skiing. It was about being an athlete. It was about adapting to our circumstances and making the most of our strengths and minimizing our weaknesses and figuring out, well, what's the strategy that I can have that's going to allow me to be successful? And and so in some ways that was the that was the crowning moment of my of my of my games and my career, really. And it was relatively early, but uh, but I continued to you were part of the U.S. Paralympic Alpine Skiing National Team for 11 years and you went on to win 32 national titles, which is an extraordinary feat. What drove you to consistently excel and push the boundaries of what's possible in your sport? Pushing beyond boundaries, I mean, I think that's the human existence, right? I think that that's, it's easy to get complacent and 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 sort of go, oh, well, I've been successful and that's okay and now I'm just going to sit back. But but pushing beyond those boundaries, I think that as an athlete, we were always seeking different ways to continue to improve. And if we continue to improve as human beings, I think there's the, for me, it's often about, you know, learning, growing and dreaming. As I get older, that's that's what I want to continue is to find ways to to stretch myself. And that's the intoxicating part of being an athlete. And I think it's the intoxicating part of of being a human being, what do I get to learn? How can I learn it? I saw it learning in a monoski where I went from, I don't know if I will ever be able to do this, to becoming proficient in a relatively short period of time. 
and and as we get older we don't do that quite as much where you know as as little kids we're confronted with it all the time as someone who has competed at the highest level of alpine skiing and track and field do you find any similarities or differences between the two sports in terms of training mindset and preparing for the competition yeah i mean i think the the sports are interesting i mean skiing I think in some ways is is one of the greatest of the Paralympic sports because we share the mountain with the rest of the people who are on the mountain. So you're visible. And, and there's something really very cool about that in the, that it's not separate. Whereas, you know, track in a little way, in some ways, yeah, sometimes you're, you're sharing the track with, with some other people, with some people who are running or whatever, but it's not the volume of people that you have in skiing, and that's uh, that's one of the one of the big differences. And I think it's one of the really cool parts. It's sort of like you know, as I'm going up, you're coming down, as and as you're going up, I'm coming down, and there's nothing you know talking to people next to you or whatever, but you're also watching, right? And so we're watching each other, and and educationally, I think that that's a really cool opportunity. Uh, but track is one of the original, you know, one of the original and easiest sports. It's kind of, it's like running, right? It's like the hundred meters, like anybody in the world can do it. You don't, you don't need a lot of technology. You don't need, it's not, it's not cost prohibitive, I guess. And so, so wheelchair racing is something that really is relatively easy in that respect. And so, uh, so and 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 I think that the the historic mystique of it is is just really cool. The Boston marathons, those kinds of things, uh, the people who've gone before me, uh, those are those are really the the cool the cool parts, the simple and historic and just just iconic parts of the sport. You participated in both alpine skiing and track and field. Is there any you found to be more challenging than the other one? The track was was definitely more challenging for me than skiing, and partially just because I felt like I felt like I had a bit of an advantage having a lot of experience that that I knew what I was trying to do and what I was supposed to do. Uh, so track was more more challenging in that respect, but skiing the the fear aspect of skiing, the you know going seventy miles an hour on one ski, and and managing that fear and marshalling that fear and and using it to your advantage, which I was successful sometimes and other times I was not successful. Uh, so you know so that that was that was definitely a, a challenge and uh, yeah I think the. The challenge in the on the track and and to track extending to the road as well to road racing was the ability to relax. That was one of the biggest challenges to not use all of your energy before you needed it. And so so those were probably the biggest challenges, but track was probably more challenging to me. Speaking of challenging, could you share with us a particularly challenging moment in your career? I think my biggest challenging moment was was early on because uh, in skiing I had to find a way since since I don't have those torso muscles 
I can't really like sit up straight and get to a neutral position, which if you go in the air, you want to be in a neutral position, not leaning forward because leaning forward puts you in a position where you're going to do a flip and that would not be a comfortable thing to do. So I had a new seat built and to, to help me do that, to help me sit back up and, and it didn't work at all. It, it really, it didn't work. And not only didn't it work, it, it, it created a, a sore on my back, which then I had to take time off and it just, and, and I thought, okay, this is it. Like everybody else is moving forward. This was, this was 1992. So 1992, I guess the, uh, the December of 92, the 92, 93 ski season. And so, so I was thinking this, this is it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it happen. And, and I had to take two weeks off to heal up. And in the process, I went and, and sort of adapted another seat and achieved what I was trying to achieve. I didn't know for sure that I was that I achieved what I was trying to achieve, but I did that. And then I, I went out and and so what I'd done is I'd kind of taken like a sheet of polypropylene and attached it to the seat and created a bit of a spine. And and so and I attached a, an elastic. Uh, belt around my around my torso so it would both allow me to you know allow me to angulate without it would allow me to angulate not just lock me in so so I was able to to be connected to the ski it was the first time I felt anything with the ski and and I went out the first day and I was amazed one that I that I was connected to the ski I was like wow okay now it's moving with me as opposed to me trying so desperately to get it to move and, and so so in some ways that's those are are really my 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 depth and and my triumphant moment in, within three weeks wow how incredible moving on to your other triumphs you climbed the highest mountain in africa how was your experience getting to the peak of mount kilimanjaro mount kilimanjaro so it was an opportunity to, you know, sort of metaphorically connect with with the population of the world, right? In, in terms of we are all climbing our mountain. Every single day, we're all climbing our mountain. And so a 19,340-foot mountain is a pretty decent representation of the mountain that we're all climbing. Uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, being on the mountain was, was in some ways the easiest time that I've had because... Yeah, because the two years leading up to it, I had to raise the money, I had to manage the people, I had to, had to help develop the vehicle, I had to train for it. And, and so there was a lot of uncertainty. But then in, in climbing the mountain, I had one job, really. And my job was just to pedal for eight to 10 hours a day. And that sounds like a difficult job. But in some ways, I didn't have, I didn't have all of the worries and insecurities and everything. Uh, I had a tremendous team. I mean, both my team, which was about 10 people, and then I think we had 69 porters on the mountain. So uh, so, so it was just an amazingly supportive team. I did see, you know, I did see the great part of human beings, too. There was a part that I couldn't do getting over this boulder field. And everybody came together. And they thought nothing of the danger of carrying me over these boulders because they wanted to be part of that struggle. Yeah. And being part of that struggle, I think that's, that's one of the biggest lessons that I took away from the climb in the mountain is that 
that if we're putting our heart and soul into something, that other people want to be a part of it. As we come to a conclusion, what are your future plans? My future goals and aspirations in, in and out. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that my my position right now, I feel like, is more of a storyteller. My position is, I mean, I will continue to to go out and train on my bike and and get into the gym and do do all those things, and then get out on the hill during the winter time. But uh, but and 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 you know, in doing that, I think it's also finding some of those things. It's easy to do what I do well. And finding some of those things that I don't do quite as well, uh, to to have those as my challenges. But I really see my role right now as as that of a storyteller of, of both my own story, my own journey, but also that of the other athletes. And 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 so doing that with the commentary side of things, with the I have a couple of podcasts, and and so trying to trying to tell that story trying to tell that story in a way that enriches all of us as human beings. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today and sharing your incredible story, which brought so much positivity to the podcast. I am incredibly grateful to have had the privilege of hosting you as our guest. Thank you to you for, you know, for pursuing this part of your education, for uh, for sharing that story and and for 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 continuing to study it, I think that that's uh, you know there's so many different realms of of how we continue to improve as 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 a sport and as athletes and as as a society. So so thank you and yes, best of luck. Enjoy enjoy what you're doing and to the future athletes. You know, find what you love and and follow it. To our listeners, I encourage you to explore Chris Waddle's extraordinary achievements. Follow him on social media, engage with his initiatives, and be part of the story he continues to tell about disability sports. I can't wait to chat with you again tomorrow as we hear from... The connection for me comes by the fact that we are not one identity, right? So we are, um, th- th- that word is an intersectionality that goes with human beings, right? You're not just a woman, you're a black woman. You're not just a black person, you're a black woman. Do you know what I mean? So. Jordan Jared Bryan, the Channel 4 News sports reporter. It's a really good one. Be sure to tune in. Thank you for joining me. As ever, I'm Ashley.